Then I also um, want to uh, update you here on the Oulettes in Quebec, Quebec City. And uh, this is an encouraging prayer letter. Uh, I know it's not fun to have listen to somebody read something, but I want you to be encouraged here. I just don't, I feel that I can't um, uh, uh, skip over this. And I want you to be encouraged that God is working through some of these very difficult circumstances here um, around the world through COVID. Hello, over the last two weeks, we've been confined at home again, by the way. Um, uh, his, his first language is French, so writing this as English is a, is a, is a difficulty for him. And uh, his English seems to be better than mine. <laughs> However, we have the comfort of knowing that God is still good and sits on his throne even during that stormy season. Let me share with you our blessings and our challenges that this different season brings upon. Before this total lockdown, our church was going through very blessed days. In fact, we are experiencing since a few months a great excitement about Christ and his church that was unknown to us before. First, God delivered most people the nostalgia that was inhabiting them concerning our way of doing church before, and then graced us with contentment in the circumstances we're going through. This, in turn, produced a strong will to invest this time of pandemic for the glory of God. Every morning of the week, we have a video conference prayer meeting. We saw the number of participants growing spectacularly. About 20% of the church's adults actively participate. Seeing this growing interest for prayer, we added in-person meetings each Friday night during the whole month of November and once a month thereafter. Many testify that they began fasting for the sole purpose of being less absorbed by earthly things and more satisfied in the presence of God. We saw a growing interest for our weekly in-person meetings about the holiness of God. Some in their own initiatives started reaching out to their neighbors. People starting, uh, started again to invite people to hear the word of God, and we experienced two conversions, and about six new families to our church. Also, generosity toward needy people by our congregation is overwhelming. The outstanding resourcefulness of many produced great initiatives to live church life differently and adapt. For example, a young couple began to invite church people that they knew less to have dinner with them via video conference. This initiative, in turn, influenced others to do the same. A young man set up a phone network where every... Every week, a person receives a call from somebody and in turn calls somebody else. Yet the most extraordinary things are hard to quantify and would take too much time and pages to tell. Therefore, I'm going to pause here by testifying to you of my gratefulness to the Lord for gracing me with the privilege of doing the work of the ministry in this church. Another thing, but not the least, the TV ministry is bearing abundant fruits. God is using the suffering of people due to the pandemic to draw souls to him. Week after week, I receive the testimonies of people turning to Christ for the salvation of their soul. All across the province of Quebec, hearts are being touched by the truth. What a privilege it is to proclaim the gospel to more than 300,000 people per week. Never in my wildest dreams and prayers would I have imagined such a grace. But this is only the beginning. Last December, the Canadian Radio Television and Telecommunications Commission approved for our Hope for Today ministry to have an FM radio on the north shore of Montreal as its parent station with the possibility of having relay stations all across Quebec broadcasting the good news. Imagine for a moment, we're talking here of having a province-wide Christian radio in the near future. How do you like that, Lee? Good news, news, good news to your ears, huh? Starting in May of this year, I'll have the privilege of hosting the daily morning show and possibly one or two other weekly shows. 
Moreover, we're looking at the possibility of having our Sunday sermons being broadcast on the radio. More than 99% of the population of Quebec are not saved from their sins. That being said, I am humbled and without words to adequately express my excitement about those doors wide open for the gospel. That being said, you understand that my plate is full. This is no secret that without the incredible team I'm surrounded with, I wouldn't be able to deliver. Among others, we have a young man full of potential for the pastoral ministry. He is of great help to me. Nevertheless, we are still prayerfully asking God to provide additional pastoral assistance. Personally speaking, we have some great news. The church purchased a house for our family to stay in. With this new blessing, for the first time since the beginning of our mission ministry, we will have attained nearly 100% of our needed financial support. We're moving on February 1st. Well, that's already happened. Our family is doing great. Leah is attending Bible school. Annabelle is continuing her college schooling. And Jacob is finishing his trade studies and training this May. But more importantly, they walk with their Savior. Many of you remember that when we first moved to Quebec City, we were a foster family. One of the boys that we welcomed in our home kept such a close relationship with our family that we now consider him as our son. Josh and his wife, Jade, welcomed their first child last November, our granddaughter, Abby. What a joy it is to see the family growing. Thank you for partaking with us in our lives and our ministry. Thank you for your prayers, your generosities, and your faithfulness. Simone for the Ouellette family. Great news. Super great news here. All right. Um, let's... Uh, You might wonder why I have this kind-looking older gentleman on the screen, and I shared a little bit about why last week. <clears throat> um, God calls churches to be relational disciple-makers. Discipleship and disciple-making, evangelizing and edifying is comprised of two, two elements, relationship and truth. And uh, Robert Coleman, he's in his 90s now, he studied in depth both the Gospels and Jesus' way of making disciples that the apostles learned from and instituted in their ministries and boiled it down in 1963 into a little book here uh, called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Several principles that Jesus instilled by the power of his spirit into his disciples. Coleman became the dean of the Billy Graham International School of Evangelism and the director of the Billy Graham Institute of Evangelism. And Billy Graham wrote the foreword, and he said in another place, if he had to do his ministry over, he would have followed the principles here that Coleman lays out in this book of beginning with a few and expanding from there. Um, Jesus told the apostles early on in their stage, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And in that little command is a phrase that describes what a disciple of Jesus is. He says, follow me. So a disciple of Jesus follows. He obeys Jesus. We receive Jesus in our salvation. And he leads us into obedience to him. And he said, and I will make you. There's a transformation. Disciples changed by Jesus. He transforms us into his glory as we respond to the Holy Spirit. And then he said, I'll make you fishers of men. We're saved for a purpose, for a mission, for a kingdom purpose. We seek his kingdom first. And we join with him to make more disciples who make more disciples, who make more disciples. 
And so uh, I gave an invitation last week. There sprung upon you uh, at 2 p.m. last week for uh, those of you who had this burden to see uh, the Lord use you to be disciple makers, to meet me in the auditorium at 2. And uh, and several people did. And so uh, we we gave uh, an assignment here um, to uh, read an article here called Born to Reproduce. It's really a transcript of a message um, by a man named Dawson Trotman. And uh, Dawson Trotman was a man who started the, the Navigators, which really had an incredible, profound effect on the military and bringing people to the Lord and discipling them along. Uh, he had such a profound effect that Billy Graham asked Dawson to oversee the, um, uh, the, the follow-up, the converts from Billy Graham's crusades. Um, but, Billy, uh, but, but Dawson Trotman um, had a, a message that he delivered in 1955 that he entitled Born to Reproduce. And this is kind of the transcript of it. It's easy to read. Um, but it's very profound and powerful. You can also hear the audio of it. If you'd like to listen to the audio of it, I can get you a, a, a link to it. Um, but it's a call to maturity and spiritual reproduction and spiritual parenting to help fulfill the Great Commission. And so one of the things that we assign, and if you'd like to join with us here, is to read this little article here and think about what it means to be a Christian who reproduces. Christian who reproduces. You see, Jesus has different stages of discipleship. He meets us where we're at. But he doesn't want us to stay where we're at. You have the spiritually dead, right? Those who are lost and without Jesus. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to stay there. And so he's come that they might have life and have life abundantly. And then you have those who, through the gospel, are born again and they're spiritual infants. And we can't abandon them. You wouldn't say, oh, I got a child in my house. Good, we're all set. He's going to raise himself. No. They need example. They need truth. They need relationship. Um, but after you're an infant, then you grow into a child, right? And children are a little bit more responsible, a little bit more self-sustaining than infants. But they still need care, right? And then after a child, then you have the young adults, right? And they still need nurture. But there comes a time where you need to move to be spiritual parents. Spiritual parents. And have spiritual children of your own. And see this reproduce and multiply here. So after this morning's service, I'm inviting any of those who have a, 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 a burden about this. Um, we're going to go into the auditorium. Just a few minutes. I'm going to give you your next assignment. I purchased several of these books here, Master Plan of Evangelism. They're about three or four dollars, five dollars or so from CBD, uh, and uh, suggested donation. Uh, and I'm going to give you your next assignment here, and then we're going to meet back next Sunday here and go over that and look for the application points for this particular thrust here of Jesus' method of making disciples. All right. So at the end of the message uh, this morning, after we dismiss. Uh, a couple minutes after, we're going to go up to the auditorium for those who have that particular burden uh, here, and we're going to press into the next steps here. Um, or if you want to uh, start here at the ground floor, pick up one of these here, Born to Reproduce. They'll be up in the auditorium as well. So there's an invitation uh, for you here this morning. Well, Josiah is going to read this morning our text, uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to get into the Word of God here, and it's... Uh, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful passage. Good morning. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature which waited for the manifestation of the Son of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knows that is what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you uh, for this day that you've given us. I thank you for this uh, body of believers here that's gathered to, to learn and glean from the scriptures and to fellowship with each other. Um, I pray for Jamie as he comes and presents your word. I pray that you would uh, give him wisdom and help him to communicate to us uh, what you want us to learn from your word. Uh, I thank you for this time that you've given us again in your name. Amen. Some have called this, as I've said before, the greatest chapter in the Bible. I don't know uh, what specifically um, influences them to say that, um, because it's hard to say that one chapter is better than another in the Bible, but I think I understand a little bit of what they're saying, because this chapter covers the whole Bible, from creation and fall to redemption, uh, and to what it would all look like when it's all said and done, and we live in a new creation. Um, we looked last week here at some specific truths in Romans 8, um, verses 18 through 25, after Paul has, in Romans 8, 1 through 17, described us as people of the Spirit. We've been, we are indwelt with God. We have been put on a new path. We've been planted in newness of life, he says in Romans chapter 6. And now in Romans 8, 1 through 17, he says, this is what is true about you. Since you are people of the Spirit. Since you have Christ, this is you. This is the new you. This is the new creation. Your first fruit, you're a foretaste of new creation in your life already on this earth. Um, and so we saw then that, that the, the, the gifts that God gives through the Holy Spirit and a lot of teaching on what is many times a forgotten member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in verses 1 through 17, 
We see that in verse 18 through 25. The Spirit is at work in us because we are groaning for freedom. Creation is groaning to be liberated. And it's longing and looking forward to the day when God's work in us is completed. We're fully glorified and we look like Jesus in his fullness. Creation is groaning for that, longing for that. And Paul personifies creation because he says, in that day, then creation will also be liberated. And a new creation uh, the, 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 the Lord will, will, will bring in. Here it's groaning for freedom. And as we, we that one day, that future, in that future will be glorified, Paul says in the meantime, however, we groan. We groan. Our hearts groan. And then in the passage this morning, he's going to say the Spirit of God also groans. Creation groans. We groan. The Spirit of God also groans with this longing for things to be made right. In the movie, The Princess Bride, 1987, Wesley says this. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. And that's what Paul is kind of saying here in Romans chapter 8. What I'd like you to see here in verse 26 is this. After Paul has, has, has had us wind our way up the mountain... To see the panorama of an eternal vista. To see our circumstances in 18 through 25 in light of a heavy weight of glory that we will receive of being changed into, into Christ's image and fullness. Now he's going to talk about the here and now. The here and now. See, the Christian life is a tension of things that are already true about us and yet things that aren't totally come to their completion yet. This is tension here. If you're not comfortable with that tension, then you're missing the Bible. The Bible's full of it. Um, and, uh, and, and, and in this passage here, Romans chapter 8, is an emphasis, a heavy weight of assurance to us. Assurance. Because Paul is writing to people who have a problem, some cultural difficulties in their church of getting along. By the way, if you want to understand the point of a book, one of the, one of the uh, ways you can discern that is go to the application section of the letters and you'll see the points Paul's laying, Paul, the foundation of Paul's uh, uh, laying out here so he gets to what needs to change in these churches. And in Romans chapter 12 through chapter 16, if you read that first, I know it's kind of abnormal to do that, but if you read that first, you'll be able to understand the foundation he's building underneath of that in 1 through 11 to help these believers then live this Christian life out in practicality. And one of the things that was going on was some culture wars within the church. Seems to be Jew and Gentile things. And some groups are saying, more Torah, more law. And some groups are saying, less Torah. And Paul's saying, more spirit. More spirit. That's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 8. Because he wants to see a transformation happen in their lives, so they, 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 they through the through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit living in them, they love God more fully, and they love each other more fully, and they serve in God's mission to reach the world. Well, Paul has a problem. Paul's never been to Rome. He doesn't know these people like I know Logan. He's speaking to a church that he hasn't met before, and he says says this in Romans one. He says, "I want to meet with you. 
I want you to be established so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift and so that you have a mutual uh, uh, establishing of me. He understands relationship, by the way, is a, is a, is a, is a two-way street. Uh, discipleship's a two-way street. And many times, those who are the disciple end up being the, uh, shepherded by those they are discipling. It's, 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 a, it's an amazing, powerful thing. But he wants to, uh, to, to, to see this church as a, as a key strategic church to have a launch into his mission to Spain, he speaks about in Romans chapter 15. But he knows there's some things that need to be strengthened and established in so that there's a one-mindedness for the sake of the gospel. And so that's why in Romans 1 through uh, Romans chapter 11, he goes through God's plan here in the gospel. And then in 12 through 16, he says, on the basis of God's mercies, be transformed, be changed, present yourselves, surrender to the Lord. And then in chapter 12, he gives some practical um, uh, ramifications that will follow through that. And 13 and 14 and 15 with relating to one another with some of those cultural differences. And 14 and 15 and then 16, he, he starts to give his, uh, give his credentials here of relationship to people. He talks about people that he... Um, that he's related to and people he knows um, there that, they, that the, this, these house churches in Rome know and to, to build up a, a, a relationship with them to see these things happen. But here in Romans chapter 8, he says in verse 26, first of all, likewise, likewise, in the same way. And what I want you to see from Romans chapter 8 is this. It's something the Roman church needed to hear, and it's something we need to hear and be reminded of. God has a rugged commitment to our good and His glory. God has a rugged commitment to our good and His glory. We're going to see this in verse uh, 26 and 27, because He's going to tell us how the Spirit helps us in the here and now in our weakness. In our weakness. God has a rugged commitment to our good now. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, our weakness. By the way, when describing our infirmities, our weakness, he's not talking about the occasional weakness we might have. He's talking about our human state. We are weak and frail. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 26 tells us that in our weakness, the Spirit helps us in our groaning. You see, as he said in 18 through 25, there is a futility factor, an emptiness factor, a vanity factor that cuts through everything in creation. From your car rusting out to loss of life. There's something wrong with creation. It's like a bone out of joint. Anybody in this world could tell you we know it's not yet right. There's something wrong here. And when these experiences enter into our life, the Bible calls us to call upon the Lord in prayer. But there's a problem, Paul says. Sometimes we're baffled. And what Paul's talking about here in our prayer here is that um, there's not some occasional times and 
uh, where we're weak and, and sometimes we're, wow, we're really in a place where we really need to cry out to the Lord for wisdom and we don't know what to say. Paul is, 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 is describing our, a, a, a constant state of our lives here as human beings in this world. And he tells us that the Holy Spirit joins in bearing our heart burdens that our human weakness brings with it. Imagine uh, you in your yard and someone has cut down a tree and you're all by yourself and you're trying to move that tree's been limbed and you're trying to move that trunk now, that tree. And you are struggling with that and you're trying to lift that heavy log and move it. And what it all comes down to is you are not able to do it. But then somebody comes along who much more powerful than you and helps you move that log to its location. And that's kind of the picture here of what the Holy Spirit does. See, Paul's saying that in our, in our, in our prayers that we're to express uh, our, our groanings, we don't even know how to express our groanings and cries for help to God. Paul says we don't even know what to pray for. We don't know the will of God in our circumstances. And Paul says we're unable even to petition God rightly. Paul says that weakness is met by the love of God in the spirit of God in us. Don't know what to pray for. Don't know what to do in your ignorance. The word of God right here points us to the spirit of God who overcomes our weakness by his intercession for us. In these fragile clay jars that we are, we have this treasure of the Holy Spirit praying in our place for us. Who himself, because he is God, and 1 Corinthians 2 is a great parallel passage to read through and study this on your own, is, is united then with the will of God because he's God, he himself expresses to the Father in his own aching and burden and effort and passion that perfectly matches the will of God and more than compensates for our weakness. That's how joined we are to the God of heaven and the gospel. You might say, well, that takes away any motivation to pray. Why pray if I can't even express it? But the point is this. Paul expects us to be praying. And the Spirit responds in this particular way. There's, there's a life of prayer that Paul is expecting to be present in our lives. And the Holy Spirit then taking that to another level. Beyond what we can think. There's no passage of scripture probably that provides greater encouragement for prayer. The Spirit, he comes to the age of believers baffled, taking their concerns to God, and he takes it with an intensity far greater than we can even imagine. Our groans, in verse 23, become his in verse 26, as he intercedes on our behalf. It tells us a few things here. It tells us we do not need to despair in this life. Friends, in your circumstances, the Father's love is not MIA. It is not missing in action. In your groanings, under the dark clouds, the Father is present in our groanings and He absorbs our groanings into His and the Spirit of God presents our groanings purely and perfectly to God. 
You might say, well, how do I know this is going to come to pass and be effective? Look in verse 27. And he that searches the hearts, think of Psalm 139, search me and know me, the Lord, right? The Father. Knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's the reason. How do we know this will come to pass and be effective? That that the Spirit will take our groanings and he will move them uh, uh, to, to the Lord? Because there is perfect unity between God who searches the hearts and the mind of the Spirit. And God knows what the Spirit of God intends in his groaning on our behalf. And it is this. The will of God. Perfect agreement. Some of you may remember the headline in history of the USS Thresher. Nuclear submarine. It had heavy steel bulkheads and heavy steel armor. It could dive deep and withstand the pressure of the ocean. And on a test run in 1963, the Thresher's nuclear engine quit. And it couldn't get back up to the surface. And so it sank deeper and deeper as like a steel anchor into the ocean. And the pressure was so intense that the heavy steel bulkheads buckled. And the Thresher was crushed crushed with 129 people inside. All perished. The Navy searched for the Thresher with a research craft that was much stronger than the submarines. It was shaped like a steel ball and was lowered into the ocean on a cable. And they finally located the Thresher at a depth of 8,400 feet. One and a half miles down. And it was crushed like an eggshell. That wasn't a surprise. The pressure there is 3,600 pounds per square inch. But what was surprising to the searchers was as they went that deep, they saw fish at that great depth. Fish that didn't have inches of steel around them to protect them. It's normal thin skin, a fraction of an inch thick. How could these fish survive under all of that pressure? How come they're not crushed by the weight of the water like the steel was? And they have a secret. And the secret is this. They have the same pressure inside themselves as they have in the outside. Enables them to survive under pressure. John assures us the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. There is a victory that has been transmitted to the believer because there is an inside pressure that is even greater than the outside There is a victory because Jesus has poured his spirit in our hearts. The scriptures say, dear children, I have overcome them. Our inadequacies are more than filled in by the spirit. That's why this passage is such an assurance to us. Hope, Inadequacies, spirit. Second thing I'd like you to see is this. Not only does God have a rugged commitment to our good now and the groanings of creation, God's rugged commitment will meet his goal. His rugged commitment will meet his goal. Look what he says in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them 
he also glorified. I think the summary of these verses is the second point. His love, his rugged commitment will meet his goal in each of us. Now here's what that Romans 8.28 verse means. and Sometimes we can uh, use this verse when someone's going through a hard thing, right? And say, all things work together for good, right? And try to encourage them that way. and It can be encouraging, but sometimes it can also be a little bit flippant and insensitive. All things work together for good. Or we can kind of treat it lightly, like I got a flat tire on my car, and so I didn't get on the highway at a certain time to go to work, and there was a car accident on that highway, so maybe the, the, um, the flat tire was God's way of saving me. Maybe it was, but that's not what this verse is talking about at all. Or, yeah, you may have lost your job, but you can be sure of getting an even better one because all things are working for good. Might be true, but that's not what this verse is talking about. Or don't be upset about your fiancé breaking off your engagement because God might have an even better one for you. Romans 8, 28. You know, what's pro- the problem with this is we're interpreting good from an arrow. And in this life right now perspective, and from God's perspective, good is defined in spiritual terms. Spiritual terms. What is the ultimate good? It's God's glory. And in verse 29, he's glorified when his children are transformed into Christ's image. They attain the glory that he's destined for them. So you have in 20, uh, 26 and 27, groaning. We don't know, right? We don't know what God's will in it is in all this particular circumstance situations in our life. And then you have in 28 through 30, Paul's saying, and we know. Here's what we do know. God will still accomplish his ultimate purpose for his children. I don't know if that sounds cliche to you, and it might. But that's a very powerful and comforting and encouraging truth. God's going to finish his work in us. God's devoted to his glory and our glory. And what he's saying here was always his plan for his children to be like his son from the beginning to the end. What happens in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 is he, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Sometimes we can hear those words like predestinate and stuff and have all kinds of connotations come on our mind. And I think sometimes they're trying to answer questions that the text isn't intending to answer. The point is this. That word predestinate, it means to simply to direct a person to a particular goal. It has within it the word for horizon. When you think of the horizon, what do you think of? We live on the coast, so we, of all people in this country, should be well acquainted with the horizon, right? It's a dividing line. It marks off and separates what we can see from what we can't see. Everything beyond that horizon is one category, and everything that we can see within that horizon is another. And what it's saying is this. God takes that far-off category and brings it all together here. And there's a particular destiny, and that destiny is to be made like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. 
And so whatever your understanding is, and I understand there's different shades of interpretation of these words here, what I want you to not miss is Paul's point. The point is this. If you're in Christ, Jesus will make you like his son. He's going to get it done. So that his son is lifted high among his brothers as the hope of glory. The glory that Christ has already first enjoyed through obedience to the cross and resurrection and now receiving the glory. Essentially, it's saying this. It is promising this. That nothing will touch our lives that is not under the direction of our Heavenly Father to bring us to Jesus' image when it's all said and done. Everything we do and say Everything people do to us or say about us. Every experience we will ever have, God will use for our good. And that good is transformed into Jesus. We will not always understand how the things we experience work for good. 26 and 27, right? We don't. We grow. And we will certainly not always enjoy them. But friends... This verse is telling us that work on us will be done one day. And Jesus, the enthroned king in Hebrews chapter 2, stands among his brethren with rejoicing over a completed work of his inheritance. Many brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and nation resurrected like him and transformed into his glory. Why is he doing this? What Paul is doing in this chapter here is linking everything together that has happened in your life up to this point and will happen here in the future. Good and bad. He's linking it together with God's plan for our glory as his icons. We are the icons in the image of of God, and He's going to make that perfect. Now, right now we're we're like mirrors, and some of us are, and all of us here, I should say, are little cloudy mirrors. But those streaks and that blurriness is all going to be polished, and we're going to shine in fullness. And this is no surprise to God, is what Paul's saying. It might be a surprise to us. You might have a hard time getting your mind about, wow, where I am now and where I need to be. We're talking about the God who created the world. Six days, I was worried, right? This is no surprise to God. God is passionately bent on you becoming like Jesus. And it's not as though it's a, boy, I really hope that happens. Boy, only those little rascals. Nope. It's going to get it done. It's going to get it done. How does he get it done? Look in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. He's called us through his gospel. We came to life through the word of God. And whom he called, them he also justified. He's declared us in right relationship with him. Because he's in right relationship through his son. We're connected to his son. In chapters 3 through 4, he told us that happens through faith, right? But notice this. And whom he justified, 
Then he also glorified. Now, what's interesting about that is the tense of the verbs that Paul's using here. Glorified? That's what 18 through 25 talked about as a future day. That's our hope, right? Our hope of glory. And Paul says, we are glorified. What's he saying? He's saying this is something that he will do in the future, our completion. But he's speaking from God's standpoint that even though we have not yet experienced it. Yeah, we're being changed degree by degree, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, 18 in the God's glory. But it's not done yet, right? I hope it's not done. <laughs> There's a lot more that needs to happen in me. Even though we've not yet experienced it because it will happen when, when we are with him forever. It has been settled and it's been accomplished and God looks at it as if it's, it's a done deal. <laughs> Does that give you assurance? Wherever you're at in your spiritual life right now, we talked about different stages of discipleship, etc. here, following Jesus here. Does that give you assurance? It should motivate you to grow. Does that help you? Even as you're pursuing the ways that God calls us to grow, and you're striving, and you're, you're, you're following after Jesus, and you're and you're, you're, you're fighting the good fight here, and you're walking, and, and, and you're, you're putting the effort into it, spirit-empowered effort, doesn't it also assure you that it's not all in you? 1966, there was a Hindu holy man in Mystic Rao. He announced he's going to walk on water. You can imagine that attracted a little deal of attention in India. And on the day set for the feet, there was a great crowd gathered around this large pool in Bombay, India, where it was to occur. And this holy man prayerfully prepared himself for the miracle, then stepped forward to the pool's edge. And there was this hush that fell over the crowd as they observed. And Rao glanced up to the heaven, he stepped forward in the water, and immediately plummeted to the pool's depths. He came out sputtering, wet, dripping, and furious. He emerged from the pool and he turned angrily on the crowd and he said, One of you is an unbeliever. glad God's going to get his work done. Aren't you glad we don't have to approach our salvation like that? Oh, I'm not discounting our personal responsibility to call upon the Lord in faith. But friends, I want to remind you as we'll sing in a few minutes, he holds us fast. We can't hold it together. That doesn't eliminate our responsibility to be in the Word, to be with other believers, to be in prayer. Pursue God's, God's uh, strength and His means of grace here. But friends, it is comforting and assuring to know He holds it together. How well you've been holding it together this last year. He holds it together. And friends, one day, the climax of Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus will be completed. God will meet his goal in us. 
Every one of his children will be brought to triumph in Christ. This is his ultimate promise. Not everything that happens in this world is good. And actually a lot of it bad. Pain, anxiety, distresses, tragedies, persecutions, failures, even our sin. But God has sent himself the Holy Spirit. And God will work through the Holy Spirit in us to bring about the ultimate good of his children. So that everything is swallowed up in the victory of Christ for his children. And we shine with the glory of the eternal Son of God, King Jesus. Circumstances of life can be like individual ingredients. They don't make any sense to themselves, right? They're undesirable and they're without design. They're undesirable without the design and work of the baker. Flour. Sugar. That's nice, but it's overpowering, right? Eggs. Cocoa powder. How many of you ever, as a kid, got into your mom's cupboard to get cocoa powder and realized that was a mistake? (laughs) Baking soda, baking powder, all single ingredients, right? But when the baker puts them together and he mixes it up, he produces a baked chocolate cake, right? And that's kind of what Romans 8 is saying. These individual elements here are bitter, they're yucky. God's producing something out of this. What do these verses mean for us? It tells us this. There is a power today in moment by moment in what you're facing and will face. There is a power. And that power is what he said in verses 1 through 17. The God who is living in you, his spirit. The work that's been already completed through the Son. The love of the Father all along the way also tells us this. There is comfort in suffering and failure. For the believer, there is comfort in suffering and failure. For those of you who grew up in families where you were never good enough, there's assurance and doubt. But there has been one who is good enough and you've been joined to him. Also tells us there's a firm foundation we can never be knocked upon. And these verses here are more of standing back and thinking and pondering than they are about specific three steps to this, right? But there's a motivation in this passage for a love to for God and neighbor in the process of being made into little Christs and shares of God's own nature having been born again by the Spirit. You have to come back next week for Valentine's Day for the chorus here, victorious praise that erupts in view of these things. If God be for us, and He is because one through 30 are all are heavily weighted into assurance that he is, that this is true. If God be for us, who and what can be against us? He is for us because he is for his son in whom he is well pleased and we are joint heirs with the son.
God's rugged commitment will meet his goal. And so it's in light of that truth here. Right? God is for us and he's for his kingdom and he's going to get his work done through us and in spite of us. That this has been a, a hard week on a variety of different levels. One of those things is because I appreciate and love this particular family and the blessing that they've been. And God's going to send them out to another calling, another purpose. I battled, do I share this at the end and just drop it off on you and say you're dismissed? Do I do it before we sing and kind of suck the joy out of our singing? And I don't, I think this is appropriate. The past seven years have been some of the best of our lives, and I'm not speaking of myself here, though I would say that would be true as well, but for this particular family. It's been exciting to see self-help grow in numbers and in depth and to hear the sounds change from quiet adult conversations to the noises of small children. It's been a joy to be part of the growth and to be on the receiving end of incredible teaching and the love of a wonderful church family. Um, after much thought and prayer, we feel God has called us to make a move to join my parents in the ministry of Littlefield Memorial Baptist Church. This decision has not come easy, but we are confident it's prepared and directed us for this new mission. In leaving, we have only two requests. Would you continue to pray for our family, that God would use us however he sees fit, that we would be a true reflection of his grace in all we do? And two, would you always consider us part of your family? We will change our local church membership, but our brotherhood as children of the Father will never change. We are excited to see how South Hope will continue to grow and excited to partner with you from another local church family to see Knox County change for the glory of our Savior. With love, Nick and Hannah, your kids. I wasn't going to get emotional. But I'm emotional <clears throat> because I love this family. And they've been a real encouragement to me. And I'm excited to see what God will do for them. They moved within a stone's throw of Littlefield. They want to be active in their local community. And that's always been something that I've said is important. And I've always said that our church is just one little part of God's kingdom. And there's nothing with any of you or nothing in this church that they're saying, because of this, we're going to leave. <laughs> it's because they're going to put down roots in their own community and be a blessing that community and try to reach Knox County for Christ. And so I want to send them off with our full blessing. And so the last uh, Sunday in February will be their last Sunday with us. And I want to have a send-off for them. As we would send the missionary off. And rejoice in this new call. Nick and Hannah are wise beyond their years. have been an encouragement. have a way of cutting through things to get to the heart of it. And Nick has been a personal blessing in my own life. 
And I feel he's like a little brother, even though he's bigger than me. And I'm getting some of the same hairline that he has here. In fact, some people that have visited the church have asked if he's my brother, and I had to say, yeah, in one sense he is, in another sense he's not. Um, and so I stand before you not as somebody who's like, oh, like an ant or baby. But thank you, Jesus. For the time we've been able to spend that, and where are you going to sit? Where are you going to get? And so it's on that note that we're going to sing. In light of these truths in Romans chapter 8, God has guaranteed our good. And God's going to complete that good. Let's lift our hearts and rejoice together. Let's sing. And we're going to start our time of song this morning with two verses of blessed assurance. And that's prior to singing Hallelujah for the Cross, and He will hold us fast. That's our story this morning. We've got assurance in our Savior. That is the story we're going to sing about. So would you stand and sing? And there is no middle ground as we sing, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And I'm going to, um, when we get to He Will Hold Me Fast, Birch and Pastor Damien, if you'd come help, and Colby, if you can hear me in the back room, if you want to come up and help me with that one too, that would be awesome. Verse 1, verse 3.